So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. And we're back for another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. That's right. We've had a little bit of time off and a lot of stuff has been going on. We've had the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman final. We've had our first glimpse of the British and Irish Lions. Super W has kicked off and we've got our first sort of glimpse as well into um, what South African rugby has been doing all this time away. They finally had to put themselves up against some of the European teams with the Rainbow Cup finalising as well. I am Archie and I'm joined by Leo and Toby here. But guys, we'll, we'll start back at the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman final. I know you guys don't want to talk about Super Rugby anymore, but we'll quickly touch on this. The Blues hosted the Highlanders. They got the win, 23-15. to 15. It was, as we sort of called it, as we tipped it in the end, I think all of us tipped either seven or eight points as the margin, um, which the Blues winning by eight here. And they claimed their first... Super Rugby title in Asterix um, since 2003. Yeah, and I think the biggest biggest thing is for that franchise. Like, that was a big win for them. So I think the outside that perhaps, you know, we were less appreciative of that milestone, but the Blues have really been looking to get one of those titles for a while. So they break that drought. I think it's really good for the organisation. I think they're heading in the right direction. And this this game was just, I think, they just had too much firepower for the, for the Highlanders, which are always, they're a team that keep it close and they're a decent team all round. But I think the Blues just, after a bit of a lapse towards the end of Aotearoa, I think they really just came into their own in Trans-Tasman and they got the chocolates. Yeah, and it was nice to see a big game that didn't include the same two finalists from the Aotearoa season. Like, just for a bit of contrast, those two teams came to Australia, played at Australian teams at home and really put all the teams they faced to the sword, scoring a lot of points, getting the bonus points, earning their place. Um, the Blues just continued that pace that was a very high-intensity final, but it was definitely um, a bit one-sided with just such dominant attack out of the Blues. Um, Highlanders is always doing something with a little bit, not enough in this game. And it's sort of reflected in the in the All Blacks squad as well. There's a lot of Blues players getting, getting opportunity now who you know, have been overlooked in previous years. The forms got them in the squad. They haven't been on the outside. They're now, um, you know, central to this all-black side when it gets picked. Yeah, and looking at this all-black squad, um, probably the new names that we want to highlight are, um, you're talking about the Blues, Finlay Christie gets included as the third half back here along with Aaron Smith and Brad Weber. Um, the other new names that we should highlight, um, Ethan DeGroot from the Highlanders, that young uh, 22-year-old prop um, gets his name on the board there. Um, Ethan Blackadder from the Crusaders, we talked about him a little bit um, throughout the season as probably a bit of a gun for it. And Quinn Tupaya, who's just come back from injury from the Chiefs, again, a 22-year-old guy, um, but a lot of potential for him in a, in a midfield that is marred by a little bit of injury with someone like uh, other players, like obviously Jack Goodhue, not... Um, named due to injury and Braden Enor has been injured since then and then we didn't get any of the wingers that we were sort of talking about who was going to get a name in terms of Jonah Nareki or Lester Fanganuku or Salisi Rayasi from the Canes either they've gone with a very heavy fullback based with um, Barrett, Will Jordan, Damien McKenzie and George Bridge being really the only out and out winger that they've named in this squad as well Yeah they're just cursed in inverted commas with um, all these really versatile players who all have, you know, different styles, but great skills, all game breakers. Um, you know, they, if they could field three fullbacks, they, they would and they could. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's players who in this squad, you know, haven't been there, even though they've, they've looked like strong dominant players and they haven't made the cut, particularly around the back row. There's always a lot of back rowers and 
someone like Akira Ioane's finally just looked dominant for a sustained period and is now getting his opportunity and getting talked up. So really good for him, really good for the Blues and really good for some of these debutants to hit the squad. Yeah, and I think we signalled that some of these Crusaders guys would actually end up taking those spots in the All Blacks from some of the up-and-coming, more flashy players that we've seen from the other franchises. Surprised not to see Fine Anuku there. I think he's had a pretty solid campaign and not that we think he's a 13 at international level, but he's such a big body there that you could play him on the wing. And I'm not sure I would have been picking George Bridge over him. I know that George Bridge, um, you know, last couple of years has been a big talent and, and very, very consistent. But if you're picking on form, that's probably fine. Anuku, he should, he should feel a bit unlucky. I would, I'm, I'm surprised George Bridge, but not over fine Anuku. I'm more surprised over someone like Sevu Reese. Um, who I think was still, again, he was in and out of the Crusaders team's few sort of niggles throughout the year, but he's still just that electric. And even though he's a, a smaller body, that's that's the way international wingers are these days. Um, in the like of someone like Cheslin Colby, he's just so electric and dynamic and difficult to catch. And he, and he has got a few of those other skills, I think, that um, Fahinganuku might lack in terms of potentially a little bit of ability on the boot and sort of a little bit of um, handling and... Uh, playmaking with him as well. I think George Bridges gives you just a really safe set of hands in the air, really safe set of hands in defence. You, you might be compromising some of that out-and-out X-factor and, and sort of line-breaking ability, some of that elect, you know, really elite pace. Um, but if if you look at who they've got with the four, like I think we're probably all leaning toward Geordie getting the call at fullback, which means it's probably Will Jordan and probably George Bridge on the wing, right? Because they're unlikely to put Damian McKenzie on the wing. That'd be, you know, short and, you know, great, but wasted really. He's he's almost your backup fullback, maybe a, a third backup 10 sort of thing. So you look at George Bridge and you look at Will Jordan, like you've got some real height, you've got some skill, you've got some some vision. You might not have out-and-out pace um, for both, but I, th- I think that, that combination, it might be a slightly more defensive pick, which is quite interesting feels like they're, they're just making sure they've got their de- defence sorted before they've got their attack uh, prioritised, which is, you know, a, a sign of the changing times for the All Blacks. They want to make sure the defence is shored up before they do anything too uh, exotic with their selections. Boys, just to, uh, just to pull you up for a second, I think actually Severis did make the list. We might have cut him off in one of our screenshots we were, we were sharing. So you've actually got three of those Crusaders in the outside backs being George Bridge, Will Jordan and Severis as well as Havili, mm-hmm. who's okay. been in great form, and Enor, which you mentioned Arch might have picked up an injury, but yeah. they're in the midfield. So I think Crusaders featuring very heavily, but it just shows you like it is quite difficult to break into that set of backs. And I think Quinta Pyre is probably also a guy who they're picking on potential rather than necessarily long-term, long-term form this year. It is... Yeah, I'm, I obviously miss that, but that that's good. I'm glad Reese is in there. Um, it is interesting though. Like Havili's pretty much their main option now at twelve. I reckon maybe mm. Anton Leonard Brown is a bit of a twelve, but ALB's injured. You're playing at third, is he? ALB's injured. Is he yeah. injured as well? How so breaking news: that? ALB as of yesterday, as of Monday the twenty eighth, it was um yeah they put him down. So really, you're, you're locked put him in down. playing Havili <laughs> and Iwani, Iwani um, as your centre pairing unless you're throwing Tapias straight into the mix. So is Enor definitely out? Because I think Avili, his combination with Manga, and he's more mm. than deserving to actually be there on form as well. Rika, I'm still... Well, you think Maung is going to start instead of Bar- Barrett's back in the squad, guys? No. He'll be on the bench. You and Will Genia <laughs> can make that point. That, that's the other reason. You, obviously, the... The Moanga Barrett, um, they've they've got in the squad like in the camp, and they've had their little chat, and they're both really pushing for that ten spot. Moanga had a little piece in the media the last twenty four hours, just being like, "Oh look, you know, we we both want this spot, but uh, we're both competitors. But my job is if he gets picked to help him prepare to make sure he's the best ten on the day, and blah blah. You know, it was all the 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 sort of stuff. It's you know, you yeah, say so that you're never the well, bad guy. Well, but I don't know that Bowden would no necessarily be quite that um quite that conciliatory. Like 
I think I think Richie probably feels confident that he's got the spot, so he can sit Maybe. back and go, yeah, you know, if, if I don't get picked, that's fine. I'm, it's my job to help Bone, but he's also secretly thinking, like, of course I'm going to get picked. Like, Bone's been cruising up in Japan. Uh, I'm, I am clearly the best 10. I'm, I'm elite. And I agree, his combination with Havili, who absolutely deserves an opportunity and looks like a stable pair of hands, you know, second playmaker, but still be body, can kick, you know, yeah. defends well, oh, yeah. can control the backfield with, with his experience at fullback. Like, it's actually really good that he's come on as a 12. It's the perfect, perfect timing for this all-black squad it's that dangerous. I think they should yeah. be using him because so he's just a great foil to Moana. Boys, I don't know if you think the same, but every year we seem to have the All Black squad named and then some article will come out and be like, oh, look, the the All Blacks 2 squad, like the squad outside this could play and beat anyone else in the world sort of thing. There's been a few articles popping up in the last week about that. And I was looking at some of the teams they were naming and I really have to say that I think there's been a big drop-off compared to other years where we've seen sort of the depth in the second team um, being sort of really intimidating. Whereas this year you see some of the names that they're sort of putting forward in terms of, I don't know, they're talking about like their, their second rows as being, I saw an article saying how the second row is an area of really good depth in New Zealand. And I was like, that's not, that's just the, the problem that they've had for the last two years. Like, yeah, they've got Ritalik back, but they're talking about like Dunshay and Quinton Strange being like, um, events and... like international prospects and stuff and Sam Darry coming up from the blues and stuff. Like I, I really don't think they have the same level of depth that they have had previously. Yeah. I think like Brody coming back is a huge coup for them, but again, he's going to take a little while to get back into it at an international level. Um, I think you'll start on the bench on, in this first game and yeah, like Tupo Vise, your fifth, Lock picked. He's, you know, he's a good player, but I, I think in previous years, he'd be a guy they'd be putting, storing away for the next few years rather than right now. Um, and equally, their props like George Bauer, DeGroote, Nepo Lalala, Tyrell Lomax, Angus Talval, and then Big Carl. But I think for the majority of those guys, they're not hugely impressive on paper um, compared to previous squads. And that's why I think they're, they're, they're not necessarily at the peak of their powers, the All Blacks. They're in a little bit of a rebuilding phase. Not much as the Wallaby, not as much as the Wallabies at the moment. But, yeah, I think that they've had, obviously, two great wins in these World Cups in 2011-2015. And ever since 2015, I think they've kind of been trending downwards a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see this year, particularly with, um, you know, the coach under pressure. I think it's actually a pretty important year for them. I think they've probably lost their depth just from in the last two years. You've had a group who've sort of not retired, but, you know, basically take themselves out of selection for the All Blacks that moved into areas in Japan or back to Europe. Um, like that, that was that layer at the top or at least at the middle or the top, which meant that they just had three or four layers to, to pick from. And now really it's the first, the first group, the first, 30-odd, some, 30-somethings in the squad. And like I said, it's the group outside that's a bit piecemeal. And a lot of those guys on name and you look at their form and, and how they played in Ataroa and Trans-Tasman, you go, oh, yeah, no, they were solid. And it's like they were, they were part players. Like they weren't the elite guys in the team. They did their job, but they were, you know, the team's success probably was more driven by the elite players around them. You put all those guys together and there's not really as many elite names in that group and you can't all just be sort of bit players. So I, I don't think they've got the depth of leadership. I don't think they've got the depth of um, sort of drive and direction in that second tier. So yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you that they're not as strong as previous years. I think those, those guys like um, take care and read like someone who was just automatically selected and the, the set, the, the back row just went on forever in the selections. Like, um, you lose a few guys out of that top tier, and then they haven't they haven't replenished that yet. But that's part of the process. That's that's not unusual at all. Talking about squads, and we will briefly mention that the Wallabies have made a few call ups um, in their squads. Uh, so probably the most notable being Ira Simone. Um, we talked about him on the previous pod about 
um, deserving a call up. I think it's in response to Mazai um, Parisi. He's definitely not going to be fit for these first um, tests at all, but um, he gets a call up into the squad and, and well deserved to him. And there's also been, I think, I don't know if you guys have seen this today, Scott Seo's out for the series. And so Cameron Orr comes in, which I think was quite surprising given the form of Tom Robertson late in yeah. in Super Rugby. And also, like, Harry Johnson-Holmes, I just think, is a far better player than Cameron Orr. Um, and he's been there before in the system, so I think that's surprising. He can play both sides of the scrum too. I've never really been that impressed with Cameron Orr. I don't really understand the hype around him. I think that he's a good size prop. He's decent at the set piece, but doesn't offer much more than that. And a lot of these Rebels props, I think, you know, are kind of talked up a little bit. I'd rather have Cobra Seal off if he was, obviously, if he was eligible. Yeah, I think there's better options than Orr, but that does feel like a name that's been bandied around as maybe being pulled in for development. Um, sad for Tom Robinson, deserving uh, of another opportunity, but has probably been, uh, to a degree, cast aside on age. Um, the the other name we've seen, if you if you watch the, the Wallabies social media, you see a few clips of them on the training paddock and you see guys like Trevor Hosea who weren't in the squad, but they're, they're there and about. So they must Otto have... Eka, uh, which yeah, is the funny one. The yeah. loose head from the Reds has been training with them and yet he doesn't get named. That's, That's right. Strange. So they must have, like, you, you imagine the amount of um, opposed work that they're trying to do and, and trying to get guys involved in that who are in the actual squad, get them involved on one side. You need to need to put a few people on the opposition and it does seem like being based up in Queensland they've they pulled a few um, surplus reds in they've they've got um yeah guys like Trevor Jose are in and around the squad as well um they know they name their squad but it feels like there's four or five or six other guys in there in the background just you know quietly getting maybe, maybe they're the development players and they just haven't hit the hit the main news story but um yeah there's a few more names if you watch carefully you'll, you'll spot them and Nick White um, ruled out for the entire series with a knee injury as well. And no, uh, sorry, and um, Jock and Tamua also carrying injuries uh, last we heard too. So yeah. there's Mike definitely some uncertainty in our team, uh, not to mention the French squad who coming over um, from France and they've already lost at least one man, Arch. Do you know the latest on Intermac? I don't know if he's all right. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Yeah, because doesn't he, sound like anyone knows. Yeah, because he suffered what looked like a pretty horrific injury. Um, had to be wheeled off on a cart. Obviously, he was able to give the thumbs up to the crowd as he went off, but um, in the full neck brace, and they were reasonably worried. We haven't seen any much more from him, but um, as you were saying earlier, Toby, like potentially was never going to feature in this squad, but looking at the squad that the French are bringing, I think we may have overestimated how much sort of experience from those Six Nations campaigns they've had is coming with them. I mean, I'm not seeing, obviously, any Intermac, any DuPont, um, any um, any Jolly Bear was their other 10 that they were sort of using. A lot of big names not coming across with the French team. Um, with much more of a youthful squad uh, from their successful under-20s campaigns from the last couple of years, um, featuring highly in this. And we, our under-20s actually lost to them in one yeah, of the finals. Ago. It's the yeah. under-20s World Cup. Yeah. So, so there's a fair bit of rivalry there, given the type of players we have in there from that 20 system. I mean, I think this almost makes the French a little bit more dangerous because... They've got nothing to lose. The pressure isn't on them. They're, they bought a squad that's probably undermanned. And the Wallabies have to win these games. They have to win the series, I think, to be taken seriously again on the international stage. We've been slipping down the rankings. The French really could, if they get this first game, coming straight out of quarantine a day later having to play up in Queensland now. It's obviously they flew into Sydney and then Sydney went into lockdown virtually at the same time. And so they've had to train, I think, outside the hotel. They get shipped off and then they come back to the hotel. They can't eat together. They can't hang out. So they're isolated 
you know, during the day or at night or whatever when they're not training. So there's a fair bit to overcome for them, particularly with an inexperienced squad. So I think if they come up, get out of quarantine, fly up to Brisbane and, you know, take one off the Wallabies early, I think that could be pretty damaging for, for the Wallabies who are kind of re-emerging, trying to re, kind of emerge themselves into the top flight of these international teams with a, a new jersey, you know, Rennie in his second year and trying to build towards the 2023 World Cup. And also trying to build a bit of momentum, you know, it's in the long game of trying to have the 2027 World Cup on home soil, um, trying to win that award. So, yeah, there's, there's heaps to play for. It's I, I hadn't looked at the rankings in a while. Did we realise that the French are ranked fifth and the Australians are ranked seventh in the world currently? I thought we were sixth, but yeah. Yeah, so what, well, Wales have gotten up uh, just marginally over us. Um, probably for their recent success. So yeah, it's only uh, it's only the Scots that are that are below us, oh, and the Italians if you count them for the Six Nations. There's there's quite a few um, big dogs above us to to take down, and it starts with the French. It, on our home soil, I would like to think that we'll we'll take this comfortably. We've had good preparation. We've got a few names out, um, but we the surely the favoritism is with us. If they're not sending their best, if they're coming out of quarantine you know, piecemeal to, to train and to play. Um, we've, we've basically, at the moment, assuming that Brisbane lockdown doesn't change the first game, which has already been relocated from Sydney, we will be pretty much, you know, just going down the road to play this game. It should be pretty well prepped and ready to go. And it's the benefit of Suncorp as well, isn't it? Which the Wallabies have an amazingly good record at. We We rarely lose up there. And that's where we've had some of our most impressive victories. Um, going back to the biggest one that comes to mind is our first time in that Indigenous Wallabies jersey taking on the All Blacks and taking them down um, after a big sort of string of losses, a bit of a drought against them. That was an amazing game to see up there. I'm just, like, really relieved that they they weren't kind of doing their, their prep in Sydney at Coogee or something or wherever they would normally do it. And they've actually escaped that. And you're right, like COVID situation can change pretty quickly. But the fact they have to drive an hour down the road from Sanctuary Cove, um, you know, they've almost had a perfect prep really three weeks out from, from the first game, coming off a pretty underwhelming um, trans-Tasman. But all the same, I think it's been a pretty settled camp apart from a few injuries. I think, you know, those injuries are actually going to give certain guys opportunities, guys like probably Noah Olaseo, maybe being paired with Tate McDermott. So it's going to be a pretty fresh look to the team in, in some ways. But I think our forwards are the key to all this. If we can set the platform with them, with some of the bigger bodies we've named, some of the guys that have been in form, I think even if we're naming a pretty fresh back line, um, guys that, you know, love to attack, guys that have a fresh perspective on things, I think we can really actually score a lot of points in, in this series. Do we put Fraser and Harry Wilson, our under-20s duo, in, in versus the French? I think Hooper. Hooper has to start as captain. But I think you'll see Harry Wilson there at eight, and I think you'll see Valentini at six. I think Fraser probably, depending oh. on the makeup of the bench, he should be in and around that. But you got to see this. There's going to be rotation with these games being so close together as well. Something that we didn't mention earlier was um, Swinton got completely off his red card suspension, um, completely dismissed somehow. Not sure how Rennie managed to work that one, but obviously is eligible for selection now for this first test. I, I honestly cannot believe that that was the final decision. And I don't even know if I'm happy. Like, I, I honestly don't think Swinton deserves to be in the starting lineup, and I wouldn't clog the bench with him for now. So uh, to me, it probably makes no difference for my selections. But I... I do not understand how they came to that decision. That doesn't seem like they've followed the, the normal um, sort of precedence at all. Yeah, I think, I don't know if Lockie Boshi had some input into that after Rennie talked to him um, and they pulled some strings in that area, but they said, I think, that it was should have only been a yellow card and so there's no further punishment needed. Um, yeah, and I agree with you, Lee. I think Swinton... He's a good squad player to have there to keep it competitive in training, but I'd much rather have a nice Arani off the bench in the back row or a Fraser McWright 
a couple of guys like that, if you're going to play a bigger forwards bench. Um, from, from my perspective, Valentini, Hooper and Wilson are locked in as our back row combo for the first test. Yeah, it's hard to get away from that group of three. That's, that's the clear form, back row, uh, all playing in their correct position. Um, Hooper has to be there. If, if Hooper wasn't the captain, I would, I would say that Fraser McCrite should be getting an opportunity, but no doubt he will get an opportunity um, at some point, even if it's off the bench. They will probably want to rest Hooper, maybe depending on how the games go. Um, you know, if we if we're up in the first and then we get into the second and we're looking good, then maybe that's the opportunity he gets coming on late there. Um, but it is interesting. Like you, you, you think that the sensible, well, the logical way to, to get your best team out on the park more than once would be to play them first and third. And if you're going to have to substitute people in, then it's that middle game, which is what Melbourne. Um, Melbourne the, on the, the Tuesday. Yeah. So it's a six-day turnaround. The only problem is if they lose the first game. That's right. That throws a spanner in the works. That's but right. you're right. If they you put the best yourself. team out yeah. and win, then you're right. So, so then you then you go in the second. Not saying we're happy to lose this, but we've we've got a measure on the French. We think we can afford to rest mm. a few people. We'd like to try a couple of other different players to you know focus on more breakdown work. You know, reinforce our scrum, reinforce our line out, play a more expansive um, game out of the backs, play more you know territory based game, pin them down with bigger kickers out of the back three. Like there'll be different selections decided on the second game depending on the outcome and depending on what they see. And you hope that they pick the best team they can for this first game. You hope that they play the style of rugby that Rennie's trying to get them playing, which utilizes all the natural skills of the guys and all the combination work they've been doing in camp. And then hopefully the second game is comfortable enough for a few players to get a run because um, they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to find a way to be comfortable with a few guys getting subbed out. They, they can't run the same 23 three times in two weeks. Yeah, and I think you're right. You've got to put the best team out straight away. Otherwise, you're not going out there with a positive attitude to take this series because your aim should be to win this series in a sweep. You should be aiming to come out with three victories, really, even if you're going to be playing a slightly different team on the second time round. Your your team that has a few, like half the team changed, should be just as strong. Like That's what you should be building at camp anyway. Um, that should be the aim for, for any um, national team, versus whether you're versing the French at full or half strength or you're versing Samoa or Tonga, like like the All Blacks coming up this weekend are coming up against Tonga, and I guarantee you that they're going to put out a very strong team and be looking to make a statement. Um, so the, the New Zealand Maori team had a game on the weekend versus Samoa. They won that 35 to 10. Um, so a couple of Australian super rugby players uh, we saw in that, Henry Tafu from the Force, um, Henry Stowers from the Brumbies, um, and Albert Ane from the Rebels featured in the starting lineup of the Samoan team. Um, they're playing again this weekend in Auckland at Mount Smart in the prelude to the All Blacks versus Tonga game as well. Um, anything you're expecting particularly from this All Blacks Tonga game or either of these games guys? I think it'll be probably similar to what the Maori, New Zealand Maori versus the um, Mano Samoa game ended up being which is just teams teams that are at a completely different level really um, I think it was I saw something today that said for Tonga there's a number of players who'd be playing in that match who basically being pulled out of their nine to five lunchrooms and, and then going to be on the field for the country. Like this is, this is why there needs to be more money and more support put into the Pacific Island nation teams, because they're clearly an engine room of producing talented young athletes and New Zealand gets a lot out of that. Australia gets a lot out of that um, to, to think that they're in their international team best they can field um, doesn't include guys that are all playing regularly professionally is is a bit disappointing i think the results against the all blacks will will bear that out that it'll be fairly one sided and don't know if they'll be you know taking it slightly easy and and not looking to run up the scoreboard because it's obviously a bad look and it, it raises the the conversation points about the lack of support and, and the advantages the all blacks in new zealand get 
from um, from taking players from those pools. Um, I think they'll be pretty, you know, dominant dominant games. But we'll see the All Blacks trying a few things, trying a few combinations, trying a few plays, um, you know, experimenting a bit and looking just you know freshen up and hone hone their skills, and make them nice and silky for when they face the Aussies. Yeah, I think very comfortable for the All Blacks. I think they'll just be looking to avoid any more injuries to that squad. Um, because in some of these kind of Islander games, it can be pretty physical and aggressive. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just intriguing to see what All Blacks 15 or 23 is, is put out in this one because, you know, do you go full strength? Maybe you don't bother. Maybe you introduce a few guys that you want to see what they're about in this one. I'm not sure which way they'll go. But, um, yeah, anytime the All Blacks play, it's an event. So I'll be, I'll be watching. We mentioned at the top of the show that the Lions are starting off their campaign. They had their first game up in Scotland versus the Japanese on the weekend. They came out victors 28 to 10. The big sort of um, news probably out of this was one that there was no Englishman in the starting 15 for the team um, with just a couple on the bench. But probably the bigger storyline here is Alan Wynne-Jones, captain of the tour, dislocated shoulder out for the tour um they need a new captain and i think they've turned for to a uh a little irishman haven't they yeah Connor murray is going to be the the captain which wasn't um wasn't a lot of people's picks i guess ken owens was was there farrell was there um maybe some of the other forwards but they they've gone with the scrum half he started all three of the lines matches mm. last series i think so um i guess for them, it's an area they don't have a lot of depth. They've they've they know he's going to be playing, uh, keep him close to the close to the referee, and uh, it do- doesn't have a lot of leadership experience from what I've seen, like what and what I've they looked at. Like stuff, really. He's yeah, not, not captain, but not nothing. That's it. So interesting. It's it's um, I guess it it lets all the I'm sure it'll be leadership by committee to a degree with the senior guys in the in the teams picked to play the South Africans, but. Um, I guess that the judgment of Connor Murray um, to to distill all the opinions of all these senior guys is, is well trusted, and Gatland has Gatland's put him in the put him in the box seat to be first pick each game. Yeah, I mean he's a pretty experienced operator, and you know the the clear starter in that Lions scrum half contingent. So I think that's a good decision. The issue is, I guess, if you wanted to pick someone like Owen Farrell, he's not guaranteed a start given Biggers in pretty good form. But I just thought in this game the, the Lions were pretty average. Like, if you listen to the commentary team, they were just talking them up the whole game, which I thought was quite unjustified a lot of the time. Um, but I would have expected more from a, you know, they're a punchy and a lively Japanese outfit, but not anywhere near the quality that South Africa has. So I think they should be a little bit worried given that performance. I know it's just a warm-up for them, but, yeah, I just didn't find them particularly impressive. And their style of play, quite interesting. Um, we've obviously seen a lot of Southern Hemisphere rugby recently, and we know what the prevailing style is there. Definitely pushing the ball fast and flat, trying to get to the edges, trying to really stretch the defence. And the Lions' style was a lot of just kind of first to second receiver hit-ups, the odd inside ball, the odd sort of uh, sharp angle, but still off those sort of near runners. Very rarely did they go edge to edge, which was much more the Japanese style, which I guess comes from their coaching influences recently and and the Southern Hemisphere style, which they've probably been a bit more exposed to. Um, They had some success stretching the lines, but the lines one-on-one defensively were pretty good. Um, I was actually a bit disappointed with Biggers. Like he was, he was missed a few tackles. It's something he's usually a lot better at. Um, but yeah, they, they covered the Japanese pretty well most of this game, only allowing the one try. Uh, they themselves, you know, they, they they got a little bit kind of opportune in a, in a couple of circumstances. Like they they had some good momentum uh, for their first try, and they just rolled and rolled in the I forget the winger's name, the fourteen. Vandermeer, yeah. No, not Vandermeer, the other winger. Well, scrappy, start. scrappy, sharp, sharp kind of. Um, oh, um, yeah, yeah, the Welsh guy. Yeah, Josh Adams. Josh Adams, yeah, he's got yeah. a shaved head now. Yeah. yeah, so he 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 put on some good footwork and and put 
push through off the back of the momentum of a couple of phases. Um, so, you know, that's that's fair enough. That's legitimate. That's just stretching the Japanese and, and busting through. The next one was Vandermeer, who, who really took it blindside, just, you know, saw that there were no defenders there to take him and, and just busted through. Um, but a lot of their work was up the middle. It was a little bit grindy. It was still pretty slick. When it went through the hands, it was smooth and, and they looked polished. But um, it, it I, I don't think... You know, the South Africans on form, and albeit they haven't played for a couple of years as a group, but the South Africans will be able to contain that and they just try and push through the middle. I don't think that's the style that's going to upset the South Africans. I think they'll just lap up that contact and look for turnovers. So um, it keeps it keeps the inside forwards in the game that the guys who are going to be all around the ruck all the time, they'll be taking ball. And um, I guess <laughs> I, I would expect the South Africans to be quite dominant in that area of the game, unless the refereeing is as shocking as it was in this game, which is to, to allow turnovers when guys are clearly planted hands on the ground and then raking at the ball after planting, not supporting their own weight. There's a lot of that given up in this game both ways. Which is tough to know because they do, they will have South African referees that both haven't been refereeing Northern Hemisphere stuff and they haven't been refereeing um, the Super Rugby Trans Tasman and stuff that has been more focused on well, things like that offside and also not at all getting your hands on the ground if you're going for the ball, that sort of stuff, which seemed to be the biggest difference in this game. It, it honestly, my recollection of the Atoro and Trans Tasman and Super Rugby AU, like that made such a difference. It made pilfering, it turned into a genuine skill. The guys who could do it really well were getting rewarded. The guys who were sloppy, like, there's a few teams that have props and hookers and you know other forwards who, who can get on the ball, but not everyone's as clinical as the real true sevens and some of the other back rowers. And it, it rewarded those skills. And, and to go back to where guys can basically just A-frame over the ruck and drag their hands back and you know only really have one, on, one hand on the ball, other hand just trying to lift the player and get value from the ref, it just feels, you know, it's really disappointing because we know how much skill it takes. The attack shouldn't be... Um, shouldn't be disaffected that quickly from a guy just grabbing on the player and pulling on half a ball. Like he's not really entitled to it. He shouldn't be rewarded. Um, so I hope that improves. Uh, and like I said, it's the offside. They, they called a few, but there was heaps of offside in this game. Both teams really pressing in defense and regularly there was guys offside. And, it, you know, you see circumstances where there's guys outside um, where the ball's actually like the line, the ball comes through and the rucks formed. The, the man that was offside wasn't actually involved in the tackle, but that guy still put a lot of pressure on the outside and forced the inside man to make the decision to just put his head down and run, recycle the ball. So he's affected the game and they weren't paying that at all, which is again, it's, it's wrong, but they should be calling that up. That guy's influenced what the back line was doing. They knew they couldn't pass it because there was a man there. Um, if the Lions are going to play like that and not get penalised, it's not going to be sort of parity both ways. Well, the Lions now have already travelled to South Africa and they're planning to start their sort of campaign there this weekend. They're playing the Lions, the Super Rugby version of the Lions um, in Johannesburg, while the Springboks are planning to face off against Georgia in their first warm-up game, their first international game since the World Cup in 2019. But more controversy has sort of hit it with ongoing sort of breakouts of COVID cases in multiple South African cities. And in fact, three Springboks um, coming, being diagnosed with COVID, um, testing positive in the likes of um, Vincent Koch, um, Zabu Nkosi, and Herschel Yanksies as well. Um, in the squad who have now been isolated, which, I mean, there's there's statements from the team saying now they've isolated, they're confident they're not going to have any more issues. Like, obviously, that's very difficult to say when you've just been packing down scrums with these guys or um, leaning over and, and doing multiple training and tackling sessions with these guys. They've been in very close proximity, but... It's, it's going to be interesting if this can just go ahead as planned, like whether they're shifting games. They're already talking about shifting lots of games to Cape Town because um, it's in an area where it has slightly less of um, numbers of COVID um, outbreaks happening at the moment. So I think it's going to be a very fluid situation. And you have to wonder whether the Lions have actually been vaccinated, double vaccinated, 
because um, the UK is doing well with their vaccinations, but they're hitting up to 23,000 new cases a day at the moment there. So it's a bit of a problem with the Delta variant even in the UK at the moment. Um, I assume that the Lions players will probably be pretty well protected, but in South Africa, you know, it's a bit more of an uncertain environment. And, yeah, you see the problems we're already having in Australia. There could be massive disruption here, and there's two tests in Joburg. So it's a bit different maybe to Australia where things are contained in certain states. I'm not sure how coordinated the South Africans are across their different, um, you know, areas in the country, so provinces. And, yeah, I, I mean, it'd be a shame if it didn't go ahead, but you could understand if, if it came to a point where, they had to cancel the series. It's looking okay at the moment, but a few more cases in that South African team, and who knows, these guys could be struggling to actually front up come the first game. Which would be detrimental for um, the rugby union there because they are relying on the revenue coming in from this series at the moment. They've obviously had over 12 months um, without any revenue coming in from these guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and they, they do need it sort of coming in. Um, but it's, it's the same, even look back at Australia and you have the Super W, which kicked off last weekend um, with some rounds and then all the teams sort of hanging around in Coffs Harbour for a bit of a round robin tournament um, happening this last weekend and next weekend. But uh, the Western Force have pulled out of that. They've decided they, they called off and cancelled their game against uh, the women's Waratahs team on Sunday um, opting instead to fly back to Western Australia uh, because they were concerned about safety with the increasing sort of burden of um, COVID positive tests that was happening in New South Wales. Yeah, it's unfortunate. That's that's the state we're that's the sorry, the state we're in. That is the situation we're in um, now. A lot of the state borders are closing. Everyone's pretty much shut their doors in New South Wales. So if there were um, and there always are with that many people, um, considerations, family considerations, professional considerations. You can't necessarily hang around for another game and then cop a couple of weeks in quarantine if that's what the border situation requires of you. So unfortunate. Um, we're we're going to get very close to some sort of rugby island, surely, eventually, where we just send everyone off and for three weeks, get prepped, and then it's just a, a huge tawny on, on, on the island and... Or maybe the island can be out back New South Wales. Although even even their sewage treatment plants are picking up fragments of COVID, so nowhere really that's, is safe. That's like the UFC Fight Island in um, that's what Abu that's Dhabi. all I could think of was Fight Island as well. They did the same rugby thing last year. Perfect. I mean, at the moment, Rugby Island is just New Zealand, isn't it? It's, it's been Rugby Island for a while, and now it's yeah, I suppose COVID anyway. So you saying um, they'll have us? Uh, no, we don't actually accept anyone over here. So yeah, we were trying yeah. to spoil that for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, going through some of the Super W results, I mean, the first weekend we had Queensland hosting the Waratahs, um, obviously the final from last year and the year before that. But the Waratahs ran in um, a huge amount of tries, 47 to 26. May Stewart scoring four tries against the Queensland team. That's the winger from the Waratahs women. Um, so great to see that. And the Brumbies had a dominant win over the Rebels, 30 to 5. Um, and then the President's 15 had a draw against the Western Force in their only game of this competition, 17 all. And that President's 15 then went on to beat the Brumbies 19-13 in a nail-biting finish um, just over this last weekend, uh, which was great to see this obviously new team of um, a lot of new combinations coming together for that, um, which is more or less a sort of invitational team of a lot of different sort of talent across the country as well. Um, and then Queensland getting the win only closely over the Rebels 17-12. So while the force are leaving, um, it does look like the rest of these teams are very closely contended, maybe with the exception being the, the Waratahs women um, potentially looking still like the, they're going to be the force in this competition. But um, who, who's going to be up there with them at the end? It's, it's pretty difficult to tell at this stage. Other competitions that were wrapping up over the weekend, and we saw the Harlequins. Um, Harlequins win Gallagher Premiership. I just, I just enjoyed. I used to hate Joe Marler so much, and I don't. And I think it's just because of the way 
he looked and that's probably not a great reason to dislike the guy um, but he's actually <laughs> he's hilarious. a bit of a character like he's so funny to actually watch and like listen to some of his interviews afterwards and um just the whole the whole team seems like they were on such a massive high and they were really um genuinely um just happy and getting around a lot of their sort of young talent there as well so congratulations to that harley Gwynn's team as well Otherwise, around the world, Major League Rugby only has three weeks left and checking in with our resident Major League um, professional uh, expert, Leo, where are you at in world rankings at the moment? Equal first and unfortunately sitting second in the list. I must have, a, must have one fewer win than Thomas, who's, who's jumped me. But good to see <laughs> Carl Yu. Damn Thomas. Good to see Carl Yu's climb back up to third. He's jumped six places. He's the other Aussie uh, fighter in this competition. We've been vying for the top of the Aussie conference, but we're also uh, trying to just work together and take down the international scene. So, uh, yeah, couldn't quite get the Grand Slam point this week. Drop one game. Need to get better on the margins. Giltinis really um, blew them out this week. I thought they'd have a tougher match. Go the Giltinis. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, haven't been, I haven't been paying a huge amount of attention, but since Leah gave me a few tips on how to pick my margins. I've been doing a lot better. So thank you, Leo. Must have passed on the mojo. Yeah, I think you've I think you've um cursed yourself now. You might fall into second next week. <laughs> I mean it's it's amazing that this league is just sort of going on so long and it's still it's still very hotly contested, as we said, outside the Giltinis. Um, the Eastern Conference continues to flip around and change every time I sort of look at it um, from Nola Gold slowly getting back up there, trying to climb their way back into the top two, um, New York and Atlanta up there. Um, and then the LA Giltinis with the Gilgronis uh, sitting on top on the Western side as well. Um, but again, it's, it's entertaining rugby. Uh, if you're going to go log on and watch it, I, I just can't wait to see Stan get, get this on to their streaming service as well. And Arch, probably one of the biggest news points from a New South Wales perspective this week was that I think today was officially announced that Darren Coleman is coming back to coach of the Waratahs. He's the current coach of the Giltinis, um, having, I think, won the premiership in Head coach Shield. attack coach? No, he's the head coach of the Giltinis. Is he the head coach? Is he? Okay. He, he was the head coach of Warringah, I think, won the the shoot shield there in 2017 and then won it with Gordon in 2020 last year. So he's had a history of turning teams around on short notice. Um, apparently wasn't, I think he actually interviewed when Daryl Gibson was heading off before when Penny was joining and missed out because he's not the best interviewer, but he's, you know, his career has spanned a couple of decades across multiple different countries He's, you know, a wealth of knowledge and I think he's deserved his opportunity. So hopefully he can do a fair bit of good with this roster and turn around for next year. Yeah, great to see and a bit of Australian talent. And I guess, I mean, it's good to see that he's, one, been announced early. Um, so obviously now he has a bit of a time to get uh, his voice heard in terms of what he wants in terms Yeah, so exactly, Arch. So the, the final, the MLR is the 1st of August. And he's planning to be back in Sydney for the spring. So you'll at least have about, you know, maybe about a five-month kind of lead into Super Rugby, which should be, it's not a lot of time, but I think it'll help a lot to have that stability leading into the 2022 season, which is good. Yeah, three-year deal. That's, that's good to see a bit of faith. Well, I mean, Penny had more than a one-year deal, but he also left early, but... Let's focus on the positives anyway. Um, all right, boys, anything else to say before we leave it for, for lots of stuff is going on in the world at the moment? Mm. I just, um, if it does stay in Brisbane and you're a Queensland listener, get out there because um, you get you get the luxury of two games. Um, you take, it, take the live sport while you can get it. Yeah, good point. And you're probably likely to see, like we talked about, a full-strength Australian team leading into this first game. So... Definitely a good reason to get out there. They'll be wearing the new, you know, 1991 World Cup inspired Wallabies jersey, which we're yet to actually, I think, seem to be released for retail purposes, which 
is baffling to me given the games next week. But anyway, there must be some sort of hold up with manufacturing or something because we even tweeted Wallabies, Cadbury, you know, ASICs, no response. So there's actually, there must be something going on behind the scenes there that that's meaning there's a hold up because actually they should be promoting the hell out of this for the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, we've really seen nothing. I'd, I'd say the, um, the turnaround from the release to manufacturing in bulk and getting into stores is pretty big logistically. And if it's coming out of say China or Vietnam or somewhere international, the um, yeah, again, the logistics are all a bit out of sorts at the moment. So keep an eye out, get it when you can, but yeah, we may not see it until the, um, the rugby championship, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a hot looking Jersey. I think they've integrated the sponsor wellbeing Cadbury and it's a pretty, you know, it's a good name to have on the Jersey. Not that, um, you know, Qantas wasn't, I think we had a good association with them, but it was time to move on. And I think this new gold uh, color is really going to, I think, reinvigorate uh, the team, at least for this first game, unless we get a loss. And hopefully uh, by the time we're potting next week, we'll actually have the team to talk about, which would be exciting for once being a uh, Wednesday game. Uh, like, like yeah, to who have, knows when they're going to release it. Yeah. You'd hope to see that team Sunday night, maybe uh, possibly Monday morning. So yeah. yeah, at least we'll, uh, we'll be in a position to run you through it, give you all our hot tips and understand where we match up well against the French. You want to see the Wallabies run out to um, the song from that notable Cadbury ad with the gorilla. Oh, come on, you know, it's Phil Collins. A bit of Phil Collins. I can feel it. Come on. That'd be a good one for them to run out to with just the drum solo coming out as they run in onto Suncorp onto the park there. Be good to see. All right, let's leave it there for today, guys. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. I know a lot of stuff that we had to cover through that, so thanks for sticking with us. Um, as always, any extra news you can find on our socials, at Running Rugby Podcast on Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter, and make sure you are following us and subscribing and downloading wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we'll be back next week. Thanks again. Keep on running. Run.